today on Ag News Daily. 75 to 100 bushel corn. Um, they do use some rice for uh, ethanol. It's rice that's produced on ground that has such heavy metal contamination that they can't use it for human consumption. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I am Delaney Howell, one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast, and it feels good to be back on. Mike, I'm from I'm in New Orleans reporting today. You're in Des Moines at the Iowa Power and Farming Show. What's going on? What are you hearing on the floor? You know, I've talked to a lot of vendors so far today, and the general consensus kind of mirrors what we talked about yesterday at the Renewable Fuel Summit. 2018 was a year of challenges. There's cautious optimism as we look ahead to 2019, but all the vendors and the farmers I've talked to today, they all say folks are watching their wallets a little Mm. bit more closely this year at this show. And it's miserable, Delaney. It is miserable here in the Midwest. What's the temperature down there in New Orleans? Well, here in New Orleans, it's actually kind of chilly for them. It's like mm, mid thirties, I think, low forties. Yeah, it's jacket weather. It's not cold, cold, but it's definitely a little, little chilly. Well, if you want something to feel thankful for, you in the mid thirties, yeah. you're about sixty 50 degrees, degrees colder, warmer than yeah. yeah than we are. Excuse me, I just got the hiccups a little bit. You mean Iscaria? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So no complaints, because I know I've gotten texts and snapchats and messages from folks my family etc saying oh well at least you're not here in this so yeah it took two hours to get the lincoln started this morning yeah that is not good not good at all it sucks it does it does well speaking of sucky (laughs) or not okay the news you got for today (laughs) uh yeah great segue there mike um you're welcome (laughs) so Kind of, so we know now the governments are reopened. President Trump has um, issued that, but Congress is working diligently, it sounds like, to kind of put together some things or some fail-safe measures so that if we do go into another government shutdown, we don't see the same effects that we've definitely been seeing from this first one. House Agriculture Chairman Colin Peterson announced that he was looking into doing something legislatively to ensure that if the government shutdown happens again, the Farm Service Agency offices will stay open this time. He said that they ought to be allowed to remain open to administer those programs that are mandated under the Farm Bill. Um, so don't know exactly what that means yet, legislatively, what they're going to do. And then also a quick announcement here because uh, the House-Senate Conference Committee who has been charged with basically working out a deal to avoid another shutdown on February 15th is meeting for the first time today. And so border security, I think is going to be kind of their kickoff point uh, about what they're going to talk about. They're going to be floating around some proposals to potentially include funding a wall or other ways to kind of get around this, this border security issue, basically. Hmm. Interesting. So uh it sounds like they're hitting the ground running in D.C. Mm-hmm. with all of these various proposals to maybe forestall another right. or at least all the challenges of a government shutdown yeah. should three weeks roll around and there's still no funding. That's the hope is that they just at least get something put together so that we don't have that happen again. 
Well, I tell you what, while we're talking government legislative stuff, I was able to snag a little interview with Iowa Secretary of Agriculture, Mike Nag, and we talked about what's ahead here locally and on the federal level as we look out to a 2019. What do you say? Should we play that right now? Let's do it, Mike. Well, I'm here at the Iowa Power Farming Show, and I just bumped into Iowa's Secretary of Agriculture, Mike Nag. Mike, congrats on uh, being the uh, Secretary of Agriculture. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Good to see you. Now, let's talk a little bit about the state of Iowa Ag. We're, I'm here at the Farm Show. Hearing farmers are, are watching their pocketbooks a little bit. We've got some concerns in the ag economy. From the Department of Agriculture's perspective, what are your top priorities here going into 2019? Yeah, there's no doubt. We're heading into 2019. We've got folks really watching that cash flow and working with lenders, and uh, it's a, it's going to be a challenging year. We, we talk a lot about 2018 being a year of great variability and uncertainty. I think we continue to push that variability and uncertainty forward into 19. And, and really, when I'm thinking about what can the Department of Ag do, We've got to stay focused on uh, making some progress with markets. So, you know, the big issues will continue to be: can we get something done with China? Uh, you know, I think there's reason to be hopeful. I know we've got a, a high-level delegation coming in from from China uh, this week, in fact, and so hopeful. And the clock is running, right? Because we're headed to this March one deadline of additional tariffs. That's not where we need to go. And I believe that you know, it's not just enough for China to say we'll start buying more soybean. We need to see some substantial, some substantive changes in how they've behaved. Uh, getting USMCA uh, approved through the Congress, very important. When Canada and Mexico are your number one and number two trading partners for the state of Iowa, you don't need an economics degree to understand why free trade agreements across those borders yeah, matter. So uh, that, that's a big, big piece of what we need to see in the new year. Now, Mike, the stuff you talked about, that's all national level stuff. Really, from the perspective of the Iowa Department of Agriculture, how much say do you get? I mean, Iowa's a pretty big ag state. Can you swing a big hammer when you go to these meetings? Well, you know, we, we like to say we're a leader in production. That means we also need to be a leader in our advocacy. So uh, I believe we do have a, a, an opportunity to be a large voice in this national conversation around trade, around policy, around the renewable fuels standard. Uh, those are important things for us to do. So whether it's working with our congressional delegation, with our governor and with our great ag groups. You know, we have strong agriculture commodity groups and farm groups in this state, too, that put their shoulder to these issues. Uh, you know, don't forget that our uh, Senator Grassley, chairman of the Finance Committee, very important uh, committee in terms of trade and trade policy in this country. So uh, we'll work very closely with uh, Senator Grassley in particular on moving ahead on these issues. Now, Mike, I know you've got places to be, but I got I to gotta pick your brain real quick. We're heading into spring. We're going eventually. We'll we'll get to spring. I mean, once the temperatures rise back above negative twenty, but water quality continues to be a hot button topic. Iowa has been the leader in the voluntary uh, nutrient reduction strategy. What do you see as the steps being taken as you look ahead to two thousand nineteen? Yeah, no doubt about it. We need to stay laser focused on this, right? I, so. You know, I've, I've said this many times. I'm so proud of the work that's been done. Uh, you know, you got to remember, Iowa's been a leader in soil conservation for decades. We're also leading the way on water quality and, and nutrient reduction. And uh, so we'll, we need to maintain that. So that means we're running into some barriers for the first time. We're taking, some, taking on some challenges that others haven't done. But I am so proud of the fact that it's Iowa, it's Iowans who are taking on that challenge, and we're going to keep, keep working. 
we know we need to scale up and accelerate the adoption of practices across the state. We had some new dollars that were appropriated by the legislature last year. We're really focusing now on layering in edge-of-field practices like wetlands, bioreactors, and saturated buffers at the edge of the field. And uh, really, those are new sets of practices that we need to, to spend some focus on. So we'll be doing that. We've got some new boots on the ground. Big, big picture. We still need to see innovation in how we deliver practices and in some of the technology that we know farmers will be adopting from a nutrient management standpoint, from a digital ag standpoint. And we're also looking at how can we develop new private-public partnerships to get this work done. Fantastic. If we've got listeners out there who want to try some new practices, who want to get uh, get their foot in the door, so to speak, Mike, where should they go for resources? Well, the easiest thing to do is always to visit that local conservation office. But I will tell you that we can also, if uh, we've got a website, cleanwateriowa.org, and that's a great clearinghouse as well for just the different resources that are out there. Um, go to local watershed and conservation meetings. You know, I just have been visiting even today at the Power Farming Show with folks about telling me that, hey, they're part of a conservation group that gets together. They have coffee. We know that farmer-to-farmer information exchange is still the, one of the best ways to get the word out about how conservation can work. Absolutely. Well, Mike Nag, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Really appreciate it. Good to be with you. Well, there we go. I mean, talk about hitting the ground running. This new year means uh, new new opportunities, I suppose. And just like Mike has said, just as so many others have said, we've got to get this trade thing figured out. Yeah. And so speaking of getting the trade thing figured out, we're seeing high-level Chinese-U.S. negotiator trade talks kick off today in Washington, D.C. for two days' worth of trade. Um, A core U.S. demand that's come out, of course, is that China stops the policy of requiring U.S. companies to give up intellectual property. But we might see a little bit of a hiccup in these negotiations because we've seen now um, that Huawei, Chinese, uh, what were they? They were a tech company, wasn't it? Yep, yep. They're a tech company selling technology to North Korea. So we've seen them... We've seen the U.S. officially come forth with charges, um, and so that might put some put some uh, tension into trade this week, into trade negotiations this week. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure there is a bigger picture plan in place, but man, I have a hard time seeing what we gain by dropping yeah. those charges here yesterday and today. Yeah, so there criminal charges too, which I'm not sure if that yes. makes it worse, or uh, I assume it would. Well, yeah, criminal charges, uh, from experience, Delaney, they're not a good thing. <laughs> oh, you don't, you don't say. You, you don't want criminal charges. Listeners, if you're debating getting yourself some criminal charges, I would advise against it. Good call. Thank you. Legal advice from Mike. That's right. Yeah. Our, our legal analyst is, yeah. uh, is me here on right. the Ag News Daily Podcast. Great. Great. Yeah. I've got a lot of experience in, uh, at least on the defendant's side of the, mm. the legal table. Yeah, we know. <laughs> so we'll have to see whether or not those uh, charges ice over some of our discussions yes. here with the uh, with the Chinese yeah, going and, forward. And going off of that a little bit more here, I had this piece of news um, just came out yesterday. According to the Congressional Budget Office, commodity payments are expected to top levels that we haven't seen for 13 or 14 years and expected to reach $17.2 billion for this fiscal year due to trade assistance in that, as we like to call it, farmer bailout package. Yeah, yeah, we're spending a lot of money 
And so farmers, remember, we talked about this yesterday, but I want to remind you again today, you've got until February 15th to get your uh, proof of production into mm -hmm. your FSA offices and get yourself a piece of that pie from uh, Uncle Sam for those MFP payments. That's right. Good reminder. And uh, <clears throat> while we're talking about trade, I've got a note here. Yesterday, we talked about the EU greenlighting mm -hmm. U.S. soybeans for biodiesel production, or at least for, for oil production. And we hear today that the European Union has backed a proposal to impose anti-dumping uh, duties on Argentinian biodiesel imports. So basically, so yesterday we had the EU greenlight U.S. beans for biodiesel production. Today, they're closing the door. Uh, they're going to allow a minimum amount of Argentinian biodiesel imports. Basically, this seems like another olive branch to the hmm. Americans to help uh, keep President Trump happy. And maybe this will give us the opportunity to ship more beans over to the EU. But I guess time will tell. Hopefully. I mean, we've already seen a huge increase over the last couple of months because of trade issues. So hopefully there's nowhere to go but up yeah, from here. Yeah, we could always yeah. sell more. Absolutely. we got to get a lot more beans off our shores, and that would... That would really improve the attitude of a lot of the folks here yeah. at the Iowa Power Farming Show. Well, I think a lot of people across the ag sector would feel pretty confident about that. Yes. What other news do you have for us, Delaney? Um, so this, I've got kind of the two last pieces of news I have are kind of maybe more, I think they're funny pieces of news. Um, the first one, because I know you like make making fun of me because I eat chicken nuggets and chicken strips, but Purdue Foods is recalling more than 16,000 pounds of refrigerated chicken nuggets because of an undeclared allergen and an incorrect UPC code. So if you got Purdue chicken nuggets, if you bought those recently, you'd probably need to get rid of those. Oh, so are you going to have to clear out your freezer? No, I don't. I don't buy chicken nuggets. I just maybe eat them sometimes, like when I go out to eat. Every time when you go out to eat. Okay, so this is. I don't know. We were talking about um, Lent today because it's not very far around the corner, and I'm in New Orleans, and that's kind of like the kickoff to Mardi Gras, etc. cetera. But um, a couple of years ago, I actually gave up eating chicken nuggets for Lent. And were you able to stick to it? Yes, but people just thought wow. it was hilarious. I know. Like, that's a weird thing to give up. But Good for you. Yeah, yeah, so. It is. But you're supposed to give up the things you do in excess, which uh, you certainly do eat chicken nuggets in excess. <laughs> I like to eat lots of steak, too. I would never give that up for Lent. Well, no. Steak is good. And, of course, all of our good Catholics know you give up steak every Friday already for Lent. Mm -hmm. and I don't because I'm Protestant. My Jesus yeah, supports not, the beef industry. <laughs> I'm not Catholic either, but sometimes I just like to give stuff up, you know. Well, hey, speaking of the cattle industry, Delaney, you are, of yes. course, down at the NCBA Cattle Convention uh, mm -hmm. down there in New Orleans, Cattle Industry Convention, and... Got news that you are going to have a fairly big guest speaker on yes. Friday. You've got Secretary Sonny Purdue coming down. I do, and I've had a couple of people saying, "Oh, you need to get an interview with him." So I don't know if I. It seems like a lot to pull some strings to get that to happen, but if I could, I'd definitely take advantage of it. Well, do it. Start yanking those strings today. That's what we sent you down there for, Delaney. I know. I'm going to do my best. Going to do my best. Okay. Well, you said you had. Uh, do you have any other news for yeah, us? Yeah. Okay. This I saved the in my opinion, the funniest piece of news for last. Are you ready for this? I was born ready for this. Okay. Here's the title of the article. 
It's called North Koreans ordered to produce impossible amount of human manure every day to help save agriculture. Okay,、yeah, that sounds like a North Korean headline. <laughs> What are they doing? So North Korean dictator Kim Jong Un has commanded every citizen to turn over two hundred pounds of human feces a day for fertilizer. In an effort to revitalize their struggling agricultural economy, to use it as fertilizer, two hundred pounds a day. That is a lot of poop, and it's very bizarre. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I think his head's in the right place. I think that's a that's a good way to do it. It'll build no, your the, soil organic matter com, you know, con, thing content. The whole thing is weird. So that's about three tons per month per person. You know, I've heard, and I think this is backed up by science and、uh, visitors and defectors, that they don't really have enough to eat in North Korea. Right. If you don't have enough to eat, you're going to have a hard time finding enough to poop. Yeah, I know. That's what I was thinking too. I mean, their people are pretty malnourished, so I don't expect. I don't know how they expect this to happen. Yeah, that、I'm、was my final、sure. piece of news. I just thought it was super bizarre, kind of funny, but I was like,、uh, "You're kidding me!" Right now, when I read this. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's also sad. I mean, the people、mm-hmm. in North Korea—they're they're in our thoughts. They're in a dictatorial regime, and they don't have enough to eat. Now they've got to now they've got to turn over、yeah. all their poop. I know. Seriously, so bizarre. Well, Delaney, do you know what isn't poop today? What the commodity markets? The green markets—they've、ah. actually got some green on the screen. What do you say? Should we jump in and see where they finished for the day? Well, let's do it. All right, folks. And our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get in touch and you can get help with your marketing plans by giving them a call at three one two two seven seven zero zero five zero or visit them on the web at zaner dot com. As I mentioned, some green in the corn market today. The March corn contract up three and three quarter cents at three eighty one even. The May up three and a half to finish at three eighty nine and a half. In soybeans, the March contract up two cents at nine twenty one even. The May up two and a quarter to close at nine thirty five even. Looking at Chicago wheat, the March contract up three and a half cents, closed the day at five sixteen and three quarters. The May up three to finish at five twenty two and a half. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got mixed trade in live cattle. February contract down thirty-two and a half cents at one twenty-six fifteen. The April up twenty-five to close at one twenty-eight oh five. In feeder cattle, the March contract up a nickel on the day at one forty-four thirty. The April up twelve fifty to close at one forty-five eighty-two and a half. Mixed trade in lean hogs, February up twelve and a half cents, finished at fifty-seven forty-five. The April down thirty-two and a half to close at sixty-two twenty-two fifty. Jumping over to the dairy market in Class Three milk, the February contract dropped two cents at fourteen oh three, with the March up seven to finish at fourteen forty six. Yesterday, I had the chance to talk to a farmer named Kelly Newenhouse, who is active in the biofuels industry, and I was able to grab an interview with him. So let's turn it over and hear from Kelly Newenhouse and about his trip to China. Well, here at the Iowa Renewable Fuels Summit, I was able to get a hold of Kelly Newenhouse, who reminded me that this event was going on. So I'm grateful to him for that. He's a farmer up at Primgar, and he's on the Iowa Corn Promotion Board. Kelly, thanks for taking the time to talk to him. Yeah, happy to do this, Mike. Now, I wanted to pick your brain. You just got off a panel talking about the export market for ethanol, in particular, 
China. You've spent some time over in China. Can you tell us a little bit about when you went and what was the purpose of your trip? Yeah, I went uh, September 14th through the 23rd, and it was a joint venture with Iowa Corn. There were four members from Iowa Corn plus a staff member and then uh, four uh, Iowa Renewable Fuels Association members. Um, and uh, it was done through the U.S. Grains Council. This It was strictly an ethanol trade mission. And while we were over there, we met with uh, Ambassador Branstead was our first meeting. Then we met with COFCO, which is the largest grain um, pr- producer or grain uh, processor in yeah. China and also the largest ethanol producer. We met with Sinopec, which is uh, retail fuel industry um, major player. They have 30,500 gas stations in China. And then the last uh, we met with SDIC, which is a new up-and-coming industry in the ethanol industry. They started producing ethanol in 2017, where like Kafka, they started in 1993. So they've been in the business a long time. Now, we've been hearing for the past couple of years, China's going to E10. They said this. Now, of course, a lot of us on this side of the Pacific hear things from China, and we maybe scratch our heads, and we wonder if it's true or not. Kelly, while you were over there, did that topic come up, and what's your take? Do you think they're serious about going to E10? Yeah, it's it's mandated. They're going to E10, and when China makes a decision to do something like that, it's going to happen. And, and the people we met with... You know, we, we do understand that we're being under surveillance pretty much all the time in China. And, and they were very positive that uh, they were going to need imports from, from the U.S. to get to their E10 blend because they can't produce that much. And a lot of the reason is because of feedstock. They, they just won't have enough. You know, they produce 75 to 100 bushel corn. Um, They do use some rice for uh, ethanol. It's rice that's produced on ground that has such heavy metal contamination that they can't use it for human consumption. But uh, it was very optimistic. In my view, um, I always look at things, and my glass is always half full. So I felt very good after leaving there um, that there's a huge potential. And, And they did say that if this trade discussions get settled, they could be in the market for up to a billion gallons pretty quick. A billion gallons in this United States ethanol market. Kelly, what would that mean? What's what's a percentage-wise? That'd be big. That'd be a game-changer. very big. You know, that would jump our export markets. This year we set a record at 1.6 billion gallons in our export market. And like the U.S. Grains Council, our goal is 4 billion gallons by 2022. You know, for 1.6, if we could add even 500 million to it, that'd get us at 2.3. The growth is really could go fast. When you were over in China, Kelly, what jumped out at you? You mentioned on the stage up here at the conference that the environmental concerns over there were huge. What surprised you as, as an Iowan going over to China? Well, you know, you always hear about the population at 1.34 billion people. And yet you always see that, know that number, but until you see it, you can't even imagine it. You know, we went to rural communities. These are in, in grain-producing areas. And one was on Changchung. Eight million people lived in that rural community. And then we went to Harbin, which is another huge corn-producing area where there's a few ethanol plants. There's 12 million people live in that town. So they got a population, and they need to feed their people, and and they need the and they need the air quality from E10 to help start 
cleaning up their environmental issues. Plus, they got a huge water problem. Seventy to ninety percent of their water in China is unfit for human use. That's not drinking; it's just use. And a lot of that goes back to MTBE in their fuel system. Really, tank leakage and just well, the general just, use of MTBE. It's the same thing we had in the U.S. and that was banned. And like I don't know the exact year; it was in the '90s that we banned it because it was tested in in the wells in Iowa. Um, several wells were tested positive for MD, MBTE just because of emissions from cars driving down the interstate. So it's that bad, bad of a pollutant. Now, you mentioned visiting some of these rural communities. You're a farmer. You're a corn grower. How did their 75 to 100 bushel corn look? Where did you see room for improvement in China? Is it all mechanization related? Do they need to get some fresh hybrids? What's your take on their future growth in production? Well, you know, we didn't really advise them on how to improve their... <laughs> I hope not. Because I, we don't, we're, happy, we're all right with their 75 to 100 bushel Absolutely. corn. But they've been doing this so, for so long. And like I said earlier, their soil um, contamination is so bad. Um, their farming practices are, are, you know, it looks decent when you drive by, but you walk out in the field and they're planting 20-inch rows at 20,000 population and about a... About 3,000 of that is a nubbin, um, so they got pretty poor plant quality. They're, they have no soy, uh, organic matter. Um, one of the things they do in China is they don't plant, um, or they suppose they don't plant GMOs, but what right. they do plant won't dry down in the field. So they wait till the ground freezes and the crop freezes to get it down to 28% moisture is what we were told. And then they harvest it. Well, then they can't do any tillage because they do continuous corn, so they burn all their corn stalks every year. And so I, I can about imagine how, how poor their, their soil conditions are. You know, we got Soil Health Institute or right. Association here in the U.S. improving for water quality yeah. and everything. They haven't gone anywhere near that direction yet and uh so for them to turn their production around it's it's going to be very long term it's not going to be something that happens overnight and so that gives the ethanol industry hope if they are serious about this move to e10 which it sounds like they are then they are going to have to be coming to the u.s kind of regardless of trade issues wouldn't you say or can brazil step in the the amazing thing that uh, when we met with sinopec they did import quite a bit of ethanol from us in the 2015 and 16 and then we started with the um, anti-dumping stuff and things shut down but they told us even with our 70 percent tariff that we have on u.s ethanol right now our ethanol is still cheaper than their domestic production and the reason that is is they're subsidized. They have everything subsidized. Their farmers are, you know, they're small farms. They're five to seven acres. Um, they're guaranteed $6 a bushel for their corn. Um, ethanol is $3.20 a gallon. Um, their ethanol plants are guaranteed a 6% profit no matter what. And so if you're an industry like the oil industry or a retailer over there and you have an option to buy cheaper fuel and make more money just blast blinding it, um, they, they said they would have bought from us even with the 70% tariff, but their government just kind of said, don't you dare. <laughs> and you don't cross the Chinese no, government. You go there. ahead and let them, if they say no, you say no. Well, Kelly, looking ahead, we've got 2019 growing season is upon us. We've got tough ethanol margins across the country here in the U.S. What are your thoughts? Are you, are you still optimistic as you look out to the future? I'm very optimistic in the biofuels industry. You know, we, I say we survived the 2018 uh, um, 
perfect storm in a negative way. You know, we had everything against us. We had hardship waivers. We had 13-year low prices in ethanol. We had RIN prices that went from close to a dollar to seven cents, and that destroyed a lot of demand. Um, we the exports kind of help offset some of the demand loss from that. And the ethanol industry is strong. You know, they're financially stable. We don't want a long-term situation like this, but it's already starting to see a little improvement with the export market growing. Um, you know, other, the E15, you know, we get this done, and the EPA says it will get done. So we keep forcing and keeping their feet to the fire on the E15 deal. Um, so there's, there's domestic growth potential, export growth potential to me, is our short-term fastest growth potential in the ethanol industry. So we really have to dedicate a lot of time with the U.S. Grains Council mm -hmm. to promote exporting ethanol. Yeah, get it off our shores, keep that value-added benefit in our pockets here at home. Whoever wants to pay the most for it, let's send it there. <laughs> Absolutely. Mind you, I'm a farmer and, uh, and also involved in the ethanol production, and we need margins. You bet. We just want to cash that check. Yep. Kelly Newenhouse, thank you so much for talking to me today. Nice to, nice to talk to you, Mike. Well, there we go. Delaney, it is always interesting to me learning how they do things over in China. It's always eye-opening. It is indeed. They do things pretty differently than we do. Yes. Yes. 50 to 75 bushel corn. I'm glad we're not, uh, we've, we've risen we've past moved, that yeah. here in the U.S. Right. Thank well, goodness. speaking of rising past things, Delaney, if maybe some of our listeners have passed our past episodes, where should they go to hear them? That's a great segue, Mike. They can go to the globalagnetwork.com, globalagnetwork.com again, and listen to any of our previous podcasts there, or they can interact with us on Twitter and on Facebook at Ag News Daily. With that, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.